Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pram, Eric Scope with Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Monday edition of the podcast, Monday Mailbag. Uh, gives us some time to reflect kind of on what happened in Oregon's victory over California, looking ahead to maybe some UCLA stuff or further down the road, big picture type stuff. And I think, Eric, Jared, I think this – this one is kind of expected. There's going to be a lot of quarterback talk. Yeah, we're going to start there with a question from at Quack Attack Mike. In your opinions, what realistically needs to happen outside of an injury to have Cristobal put Thompson in? One thing that will not change Cristobal's mind is the crowd telling him to change his mind. That's pretty clear. Um, you know, there are a chance of we want Thompson. There were boos throughout the game. Um you know, fan, fans will tell you those boos were directed at Cristobal for making this change, for, for not making a change um, to go to Thompson. So clearly the fans know what they want, and clearly Cristobal knows what he wants. So uh, I think we're kind of at a stalemate here until he makes a change. And I, I hate to say this because some fans probably want me to, to say it's, it, you know, Anthony Brown played his worst game of the season, but he just kind of played his best game of the season, which mm -hmm. is still not a very impressive performance collectively. Like overall, there are still moments where you were very frustrated. So that, that, that kind of throws a wrench in it here. And you could tell based upon what Mario Cristobal said in post game that he was pretty pleased with some of the stuff he saw from Anthony Brown, or at least he wants that to be the public message going forward. Um, so what realistically needs to happen? I think, A, Brown needs to play much worse, uh, play closer to how he played against Stanford, probably for two consecutive weeks, and they, may, they, they need to lose at least a game. I, mean, I, think the, I think this ultimately, to me, feels like it comes down to wins and losses. Um, and it's Oregon keeps winning kind of ugly fashion with Anthony Brown playing average to below average football, but not terrible, terrible football like he played against Stanford. Then I just don't know if there's going to be a change made for a minute. So I, I, I think like ultimately if they beat UCLA, they're not going to make a change regardless of how poor he played unless they have to make a change during the game to, to, to correct it. And, and, and maybe that's where it'll get is, is they'll get to a place in, in game. They have to make a change because they're just so far behind and the offense is playing so poorly. Um, I just think we've now seen for six weeks what Anthony Brown is, and even at his best, which I think it was against California, it's not really enough to move the needle for a lot of fans watching these games. And honestly, for I think most people watching objectively come away going 24 points against Cal probably isn't good enough. And the fact that they had to score two of those touchdowns in the final 13 minutes of regulation makes you even more concerned. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is going to be the narrative for the rest of the season, just like why – Maybe not narrative. I think that's more well, bad choice of words. But this is going to be the fans' expectations for the next couple of weeks in the season of why isn't you know Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield or Robbie Ashford getting a chance to play? And I think it's very clear at this point that that's all up tomorrow, Cristobal. And as long as Oregon continues to win, like Eric is saying, I don't think they're going to make a change of quarterback. I think Anthony Brown would have to play absolutely out of his mind, miserable, for there to be a real change of quarterback. Um, it, it to me, it, it seemed hard to do. It would be hard to play worse than he did at Stanford, but he Great. still played the entire game. It wasn't any hesitation with the coaching staff of putting him back in, seemingly, unless there was behind the scenes and we, in which we don't know. But yeah, I mean, this is this. I mean, even this show, there's going to be a lot of quarterback questions. But here's the thing: nothing's going to change. Unless it's so drastically bad during a game where they would have to change out the quarterbacks, I don't think there's going to be a change. And considering how Brown played against Cal, which I thought he played pretty well, 
I went through it on my machinations column, which by the time you're hearing this is already up on duckterritory.com. He played well. He made good throws. And he, uh, the offense changed for his lack of decision-making. You know, Brown has really struggled in making reads this year, and the whole offense on Friday night was not read-oriented like it normally is. And he performed really well. That's at the end of the day. I mean, but and then, then again, there's still a couple plays where you're like, what? Why are we doing it this way? Well, the third quarter was really bad. I think the third quarter was was the worst, and that was when the boos were the loudest. But at the end of the day, he still threw a touchdown pass in the fourth quarter to Jalen Red, which was an absolute dot, and then ran for a touchdown, an 11 yard touchdown where he broke a tackle and dove for the pylon. That's the kind of player he is, and I think Oregon fans have been spoiled by the luxuries of having Marcus Mariota and Justin Herbert and the Anthony Brown being just like a league of league average to slightly below league average quarterback. Some weeks has really left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. And that is going forward. I don't think there's going to be a change unless it's just so bad. I think if this is more of an, an indictment of how behind or not, maybe not ready Ty Thompson or Robbie Ashford or Jay Butterfield are than how maybe how perceived or how bad Anthony Brown is as a quarterback. Because I think if one of those three freshmen were in a position where Oregon could continue to win games, because this is a five and one team that's ranked in the top 10 mm-hmm. and they are still the probably the most odds-on favorite to win the Pac-12 championship. I think if one of those three freshman quarterbacks were ready enough where the drop-off was zero or very minimal and the ceiling for success was very high to continue this trend of winning games and to continue to be the favorite in the conference championship, a change would have already been made. Um, It would have been made going into the Cal game because Anthony Brown played horrible in that Stanford loss. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think really the only way if, if fans want a quarterback change, it's going to go against your fandom and it's okay. Then you're willing to sacrifice the year because to get a quarterback change, Oregon probably needs to lose two more games, two or three more games. So you're now rooting for Oregon to lose just so that a younger quarterback could play when mind you, it's not automatic. It's going to work. I, I, I've seen some people throw out the, Oh, look what Caleb Williams did at Oklahoma. Like Caleb Williams and, and Oklahoma are running a different system, different coaching, different players than what Oregon is running and what the Oregon's freshmen have. Like it's, you're comparing apples to oranges there. Like, yeah, they're freshmen, but totally different scenarios, different systems, different coaches, different leagues, different players that they're playing around. It's not the exact same outside of the two quarterbacks. And also remind you that Justin Herbert's first road start of the year came against California, and he had an amazing game, but he also lost them that game in overtime when he threw an interception. So it's not like automatic that – these freshman guys are going to show up and they're going to be just superstars first snap of, the, of their time. They're going to make mistakes. And if, if you're clamoring for Ty Thompson, 
you need to be prepared that you're going to have some clunkers of some games like Anthony Brown is, and you better not get frustrated. Like that's yep. my that's my opinion. But Jared made a great point. It, it's it is what it is. He's Oregon fans are used to having the best quarterback in the conference um, almost every year, or a top two or three quarterback. And Anthony Brown this year is just not that. And they're finding ways to still win games, and they're still every goal is still attainable for them. I, I do want to make it clear because it, I want to make it make sure people don't think we're flip flopping. We, we collectively still don't think Anthony Brown is better than below average. I, I would unless unless someone agrees disagrees with that sentiment. Um, I, I think collectively he's he's just not great, right? Like I'm, I'm not sitting here telling you get behind Anthony. He's amazing. He's he's going to win you a national championship. I'm telling you to get behind Anthony. I don't think it's worth booing him, which is something yes. we're going to get to in a second. But at the same time, like he, he he's, he, I, you know, what we saw against Stanford is still something that, you know, you have to kind of reckon with. This is, he's not a fantastic quarterback. He played a little better, quite a bit better against Cal than he played against Stanford. But I think I just want to make sure the narrative doesn't shift here or doesn't feel like we're shifting the narrative to like Anthony Brown is now some amazing quarterback. He's, he's not, yeah. he's, he's, he's average. He's maybe a little bit above average on certain nights. He's below average others. Um, the ceiling is much lower for this offense, but we just saw him honestly play about as well as I think he can play, which is discouraging in its own right. Um, and I don't think I don't think you're going to make a change coming off of a game like that. Um, now, again, if he can go out and suck a couple times going forward, and maybe it changes, but I, I don't think it's like imminent. I don't think it's happening really, really soon here, um, unless again, unless, unless the wheels just totally fall off, which I hope nobody's rooting for because that's that totally goes against everything that this program stands for. I think in terms of hoping the team's losing football games, that seems strange. So. Um, knock that off if that's where your heads. I don't know if listeners really feel that way. That's, or not. that's not being a real fan. Like right. the only time you're rooting for your team to lose is if it's in a professional realm and a loss improves your draft chances to get the best player in the upcoming draft, which this is not the case. So, yeah. and even then, that just doesn't feel right. So, like if you're rooting for losses like that, you're not a real fan. I'm sorry. And I hope that's not. I hope that's not taking place. I haven't seen a whole lot of. I hope we lose because I want Ty Thompson to play. But if that is a narrative that's out there, just just shut that one down. I don't like it at all. All right, next one from at Drew Goalie. How do the boos and chanting the backup quarterback's name impact the big time recruits at the game? Um, it wasn't, by the way, Matt. And you can correct me if there's been a huge development. There were a bunch of late visitors we didn't know about. It was not the marquee weekend for recruits. They did have some commitments on campus. They had some 23s that were on campus. Um, we, you can go check out Duck Territory for for a list and some of the information there. But what what, what do you think about this, Matt? Just because you 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 are kind of a recruiting guy, um, do, do you think that this impacts like so? Like here's an example: Tanner Bailey's there. He might be a future backup quarterback at Oregon. Who's may, may, might hear his name chanted at Oregon, or he might be in Anthony Brown's shoes someday, where he is the starter, and he might hear another quarterback's name chanted while he's not performing very well. Do you think that like sits well with these guys? Do you think they care? Do you think that they understand it's part of football? Do, or, or do you think that like Oregon could actually lose ground or, or lose stock or maybe even lose a recruit based upon the fan interaction we saw over the weekend? It's going to be a neutral or a negative impact. Like there's no positive that comes out of that. And I mean, you're a top 10 team, you're five and one and you're booing your team or your offense and i know people are saying well they're booing the coaches like there's no way like there's no there's not a person in the stands going all right everyone on three we're going to boo the coaches like and that be expressed across the entire Austin stadium 
for all the players, all the coaches, all the other people on the stands to hear and understand where those boos are directed. So, like, this idea that they aren't booing players, they're booing coaches, like, you can't prove that. And so the reality is, is it looks like, it feels like, Anthony Brown and the offense in particular is being booed. And it's not going to help recruits. And it's certainly going to be something that every other school in the Pac-12 is going to throw in their Rolodex of negative recruiting pitches when they talk about uh, – uh, they talk with a recruit about going to their school or going to Oregon. Well, if you go to Oregon, if you struggle and you're top 10 team and you're first place in the Pac-12, they're going to boo you. So why would you want to go there? It's not good. It does not help. Um, I, I don't think booing is in a place – uh, in college football and college athletics, unless it's clear that it's at the coaches. Like if it's a fourth and one from the opponent 33 and Oregon trots out the punting team, that's a boo that's clearly indicated at, at what would be crystal ball's decision to punt when it's a situation where people think they should, should be going for it. When it's a third and three call and or a third and five, and they, they run a one yard out that's completed, but they had options open down down the field, and the first down isn't accomplished, and they boo. That's at the players. I mean, you can argue, well, they're calling a play call. Da, 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 da. Like There were times where Anthony Brown had open guys down the field, and he checked it down, mm-hmm. and they did their first down, and then the crowd booed. That's, that's at the offense, and that's at Anthony Brown, which does not help anything. Yeah, I, the, I saw a lot of pushback on social media about who the booze directed at. And I, I, I understand, and, and, and I actually asked a couple of, of my friends who I trust their opinion. Some of the friends I don't necessarily trust your opinion. Sorry if you're listening and you just heard me say that, but I didn't, I didn't specify. So just if you're listening and you're a friend of mine, I trust your opinion, even though maybe I don't. Um, <laughs> but my, my point is like, uh, there was a lot of people that were saying it was directed at, at the coaches for, for sticking with Anthony Brown. Um, then I don't understand why every single boo followed a bad Anthony Brown play. Yeah. Like it, it, so, 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 so it, it, it was at the coaches for like, then why are we not booing them to, to start a drive? Like to right. start a drive. Okay. Here comes the quarterback we don't want, but it's actually after every time the play doesn't work out in the third quarter when things aren't going very well. And that's just not helpful. Um, I don't think, um, the we want Thompson cheers. That's that's just not helpful. I mean, that is more clearly what they want. They're communicating exactly what they want to the to the coaching staff and those in attendance. Um, I don't know if that's helpful. Um, I, I don't know if any of it's helpful, honestly, because ultimately, if how would let's put it this way: how how would you as a a fan of this team feel that if you boo or you say what you want, the coach actually does exactly what you say? Wouldn't that make you have a little <laughs> less respectability for Coach Cristobal if, if all you have to do is go, hey, I get the backup in there, and he goes, all right, I th- let's see, let's take the crowd. Let's take a pull on the crowd. It seems like the crowd really wants Ty Thompson. Screw it. They're right. Let's play him. Um, would, would, that actually be what you, would, actually, would that actually be what you want? I don't think so. And I was startled. I did a poll on social media, um, and we'll get off the booing topic here because there's a lot more to get to. But I, I was startled. I did a poll on social media on Saturday asking what percentage of your kind of what do you what's your opinion on booing your home team? And I was surprised. 51% said never bow your home team, but 48, almost 49% said it's okay when it's deserved to bow to boo your home football team. And I, I was startled. I thought it was going to be two-thirds maybe in advantage of of don't boo your your team. I I didn't expect to see about 50% of fans say 
what we saw on Saturday night was okay because I or Friday night I should say was okay because I, I frankly was a little disappointed, a little bit embarrassed by it. The coaches and players weren't probably as critical as as I was, and you know I think some people misconstrued Ryan Walk saying it motivated them and they played better, and a lot of people were saying, well then that means we should just keep booing them. That's not what he was saying at all. I, I don't think, and if that's what you're saying, your reading comprehension is is, is questionable. Um, you know, it, it, nobody liked that. You know, and you can read the quotes around it and tell me you think Ryan Walk liked it. And you know, read Verona McKinley's quotes where he said it was disappointed and and was sort of critical of the fans for not understanding what was going on. Like, like instead of cherry picking the mo the motivated part, like read the whole thing. Like, I don't think any of the players love when they're getting booed by their home crowd in a football game. That's embarrassing for everybody. And I think if you're an Oregon fan and, and you came away thinking like you helped, um, sadly, I, I think you're mistaken. Jared, do you have anything? Uh, just a little bit. I think, I don't know, to me, like the We Want Thompson and most of the booing came from the student section. And that's the same student section that was chanting We Want Bama earlier in the year. So, I, you know, I kind of take it with a grain of salt. It's, it's just a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of students who are there on a Friday night at past 9 p.m. So take it <laughs> as you will. Um, I just, you know, it's it'd be one thing if it were the whole stadium. I never really got the interpretation that it was the whole stadium until probably the second drive of the third quarter where there were a couple more boos coming around, but it was uh, all motivated and all uh, you know kindled by that student section. And this isn't me throwing on in the student section under the bus or anything like that. Um, the, the student section, I was, I was a part of it not too long ago. Um, it is a very reactionary crowd. So it's, uh, People who may or may not know a lot about the team, people who may or may not know a lot about football, and it's just reactionary to the time. Um, and at the time, Anthony Brown was playing poorly, and Oregon's offense and was playing poorly. So the boos were uh, probably – I don't think they were justified, but I think over the last two weeks, especially following the Stanford loss and the no game last week to – you know, to kind of see and get rid of some of that negative energy from the Stanford loss. I think it just kind of boiled over. Yeah. And I think that's when the boos were unleashed. I understand the frustrations and I don't want to diminish that because this is a, you've right. heard, if you listen to our podcast, you understand we were also frustrated with the way Oregon played on Friday. Like I think anybody who watches this team closely, no, nobody came away feeling fantastic. I, I would just say that's, that's maybe fine. I don't know. I'm not going to tell everybody how to handle their life and their business. If you want to keep booing, do it. I just think it's embarrassing, but if you, I would suggest maybe finding other ways of of harnessing that frustration and, and anger, and maybe uh, using that in other ways to support the team other than booing. Because I just don't find that to be particularly constructive. Even though, again, Ryan Walk said it motivated them, which everybody now thinks means keep booing, which I would say disregard. <laughs> All right, next one from at Tim Stege twelve. If the offense continues to play inconsistent inconsistently with no obvious improvements throughout the season, will that start to hurt recruiting at some point? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, before I throw it to you, Matt, I, I just it, it is interesting that every one of these questions ends up being turned back to recruiting. Um, not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but you can sort of tell where a lot of the fans get their motivations or, or their, their excitement is driven by the recruiting results. And you're seeing now fans asking, OK, is the booze bad for recruiting? Is the offense bad for recruiting? Um, I think that's those are legitimate questions. I also say, like, Let's also think about what these do in the short term and the you know in the immediate too. Um, but yeah, Matt, to your to the question from Tim, which I think is a valid one. What do you think? The offense being what it is, is that hurting? I think right now, no. For it to start hurting 
um, recruiting, you're going to need to see a string of seasons like this. Like, mm -hmm. You're not you're not going to see these receivers in one year go, hey, that's the program I want to play for. I think they're setting up their players for success. And then in that same recruiting cycle, go, boy, I have my serious doubts about this Oregon offense. It's 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 not good. I don't want to go there. Maybe. In, and I'm going to say this school, not out of spite because of the rivalry. Maybe if like it's Washington, where the idea is that the Washington Huskies are a team going into the year and the coaching staff is selling that, hey, we're going to win the Pac-12. We truly should have won last year if it wasn't for COVID. We're the best team in the league. And then they go out and they lose to Montana. They get destroyed by Michigan. They lose to Oregon State. And they lose now to UCLA. And they're 2-4. and four, And it's difficult to even make a bowl game. And Jimmy Lake could be fighting for his job. Mm -hmm. um, like it maybe in that situation where it's just a a colossal just destruction of a program, but Oregon's winning. They're top ten in the country. They're five and one. Um, that's not going to hurt recruits. But what how it will is if they go and they hover in that nine to three, ten to two, eight to four type of years three or four years in a row they have quarterback play like they have this season over those three or four straight seasons and then at that point it could be like boy i don't know if i should really go to oregon because the last two or three years all they've really done is underperformed and underachieved on the offense side of the football the production does not match up with what they're telling me their offense will do but this year, I mean, there was no problem with the offense putting up numbers last season. There was no problem with the offense putting numbers up in 2019. I, I think if you're a running back at Oregon, you love Oregon right now. If you're an offensive lineman, you love Oregon right now. Um, so I don't necessarily think recruiting is going to be impacted by the offensive struggles this season. It will have to take a couple of years. I think another point is like who's recruiting against Oregon that's having significantly better offensive production. Like if it's USC, you're like, well, they're you're still losing football games. If it's Arizona, yeah. and I would bring up Arizona just because that's the common school for Tedaroa McMillan, the big time wide receiver commitment that I think everybody's kind of concerned about. You think Arizona's passing attack is really selling him on that's going to be a great place to go? Yeah. I mean, there's just I mean, and, right. and then that's just one specific instance. But like you know, there, you, you, the other part is like collectively, it's not like the Pac-12 is killing it. And it's not like there's a team that you would point to and go like, uh-oh, that offense is so damn impressive. Oregon is so far behind. We can't compete. And, you know, Coach X can go into any living room and go, look what we're doing right now. You can't do that at Oregon. I just don't think that really exists in the Pac-12 right now. So, like, I think the play on the field for Oregon is probably a net positive, even though the the offensive struggles are, are nobody's excited by. Um but compared to like, if you're comparing Oregon and USC or a lot of these other schools that Oregon goes head to head with in the Pac-12, and maybe it changes when you go nationally because there are schools obviously having more success. But like out west, it's like it's hard for me to think there's a school that can really go, hey, based upon on-field production, we're better than Oregon. You should come here. Yeah, yeah, and you know that's that's just the like the realistic look at it. Uh, I, I don't think that this season is going to have a negative effect in offensive recruiting. I don't think last season did. And even with Justin Herbert, uh, 
a lot of people didn't really like Oregon's offense for a lot of the season in 2019. It was slow at points. It didn't utilize Justin Herbert's capabilities. It you know, it came on late in the games where Oregon might have been down at one point and they pulled out a victory, which you know sounds kind of familiar to this year. But and it still hasn't done anything. Oregon still gone out and got you know two of the best wide receiver commits of all time and in, in, in Oregon history in like the class of 2021, and they're you know well they're playing for the most part this season. Uh, Oregon has always shown an, an, an ability to, to play younger players in the last couple of years. Um, Coach Cristobal might want to play the, the juniors and seniors more, which I understand, but they will give, you know, the younger talent a shot. And just like what Eric was saying, you know, who on the West Coast is really going to, you know, say that they can compete with Oregon on the recruiting trails? I mean, USC has done it for a couple of guys, but over the past couple of years, consistently from an overall team perspective or team or a class perspective, excuse me, it doesn't come close. And you look at how Arizona State has really recruited wide receivers and running backs, a whole bunch of them, and their offense is good this year. They've played well, but then again, they're still losing to Utah. Yeah. They still have two losses on the year. They yeah. still haven't played a lot of good competition, and the only good competition that they've played so far this year, they've lost. So that's the thing. And as long as Oregon continues to to win at a respectable clip, uh, I, I think they'll be fine in recruiting. They still have some of the best recruiters in the conference on their staff. Uh, They're still a, a good group of, of players or high school players who grew up cheering for Oregon, who grew up watching the uh, Michael James and DeAnthony Thomas years and Marcus Mariota years. And I, I do think that that helps. You look at Seven McGee. He's a kid from New York who grew up watching those guys and, Anthony Thomas, who recently reached out to him, is one of his idols growing up. That's part of the reason he came to Oregon. I, I think, I mean, I, I don't think the offensive production is going to have any impact on how recruiting is the next year. I just don't think it even even matters, even comes close. Next one from at Mr. Massinger. At this point in the season, do you see the defense shifting from the strategy that allows any team to compete eight to ten yard passes at will, or will they stay the course since the opponent scoring output is relatively low hashtag got some audibles um i think we saw in the second half and this is again where i'm trying to get maybe trying to be a little too optimistic here two glass half full kind of guy i think we saw in the second half there with Kayvon thibodeau a lot more aggressive coverage a lot more press coverage a lot more man-to-man guys on an island coverage mm-hmm. than you've seen in other games and that's because they had a, a, a weapon out there who by the way according to pff this stat was astounding to me had 11 pressures on 22 passing plays that he was on the field for against Cal. 50% of the time, he was impacting the play. And honestly, it feels like it was more having rewatched. It was almost every play. Um, I think, and I've been saying this for a while, and I know people will say well, not much has changed. Kayvon Thibodeau has yet to play a full four quarters because he's been... That's, that's it's so be- crazy. It's because of, because of injury, because of suspension. And, in, and now we are going into UCLA thinking this could be the first week he can play all four quarters. Um, and when he's played, they've the defenses look different, you know. I mean, they've or they've had moments at least where they've looked different. So um, I understand the frustration. It is something where it happens multiple times a game where you look up and go, "It's third and 11. Okay, they'll play pretty tight coverage, and yet there's a receiver at the sticks, and Oregon is seemingly two to three yards off them still when the ball is thrown. Um, I, I, I think I'm trying to stay optimistic. It will change. I thought what they looked like in the second half against Cal though was what this defense should look like going forward. And that's a defense that is 
going to pose some problems for opposing offensive lines. I felt really bad for Will Craig for Cal. He got <laughs> embarrassed a couple of times. One of the plays, mm -hmm. which Jared broke down in his machinations, literally Craig hadn't got his left foot down to start his stance, and Thibodeau was already behind him. And you're just going like, yep, it's over. It's You, you, you haven't even put your foot down yet, and you've already lost. So um, I, I think more of that will change what this defense will look like. That's my, me being optimistic, but we'll have to see against UCLA, I guess. I... The stat that, that Thibodeau has not Thibodeau has not played an entire full game yet is mind-boggling considering they've played six games already and it hasn't happened. Um, and I think that right there, this game in the second half has shown in the first quarter against Fresno State has shown why I think or what what this team will eventually become once he can play. A full game <laughs> right. um, because you're right like that second half they pressed a lot more they had their corners way up on the line uh, a lot more than we've seen over the course of the season and i think it's because the pass rush like you you can make a mistake when you press when you have a pass rush like Kayvon Thibodeau can provide you because maybe your receiver that you're covering does beat you and maybe gets a step on you but the quarterback's not going to have a quick enough reaction to go through his progressions and find that receiver that's wide open and then have the time to plant his foot and throw the ball and not be hit. I mean, how many times in that Cal game, guys, did did he, like, Thibodeau literally hit the quarterback as the ball was coming off his fingers? It felt probably almost all of those 11 were simultaneous hit and throw at the same time. A lot of them. And that's going to allow your DBs to be more aggressive. It's just like a shot blocker in basketball. You you have that guy that can defend the rim. Your guards can be way more aggressive and going for steals. That's what's going to happen with the cornerbacks, I think. We're going to see these DBs be more aggressive because they know they don't have to hold the line as long as, as they would without a pass rush. Yeah, no, I 100% I agree. It was a, just a night and day difference in defense when Thibodeau was in the game the second half. Uh, Charquez Bridges and Michael Wright were really aggressive on the edges. Um, they got beat every once in a while, but that's just going to happen. They're not going to be perfect every time. And Cal has a good passing attack. Um, they're one of the better, better passing attacks in the conference. Chase Garbers is a four-year starter. Like He's very well aware of what to do when it comes to pressure. Um, the issue is that he's you know, not used to having Kayvon Thibodeau being the pressure. And what that what what it also does with Thibodeau on the field is it gives the interior line a more of a one on one opportunity because Thibodeau is going to be taking up a double team almost every time if Cal can get out to the side, which they couldn't for a lot of the times. But I thought Brandon Dorless and Keon Ware Hudson played really well. Um, Dorless and they, they they both were able to get pressure on the interior line. Uh, Brandon Swinson had his moments. But Oregon also sent a lot of pressure off the edge using Jamal Hill or Jeffrey Bassa, who was playing uh, a middle linebacker for the game against Cal. And I think that's going to change as well. I think Oregon and, and defensive coordinator Tim DeRuiter have kind of found something in terms of sending pressure. And it, it got to Garbers. It made him rush throws. Uh, they did it a lot on second and long or third and long. Um, and I think that's by design. I think they feel good enough about their pass coverage man-to-man -man and press coverage where they can send heat and if they can get away with it. 
And if they don't get to the quarterback, they're going to force Garbers to try to make a good throw. And more often than not, he did not make a good throw. And obviously, it's just going to look like the cornerbacks the, the were burnt as soon as Garbers does make a throw. But they played well. At the end of the day, they played well. The defense as a whole played really well. Uh, I think what's what's frustrating is similar to the Stanford game where Oregon's defense puts the clamps on the offense of their opponent for a couple of drives. Oregon just doesn't score on the other end. So the game remains close, so you don't really see how well the defense is doing. If Oregon were to score on two-thirds of their drives, it could be you know a 24-7 to game pretty quickly. And then you realize, oh, wow, the defense is actually really holding them down here. So to answer the question in general, I I don't see it. I do see a change of philosophy, excuse me. I think they'll do more man. I think they'll do more press coverage. I think they'll send more pressure. And I think they'll t- put their trust in their DBs. One note before I get to the fifth one. Jeffrey Bossa actually got the start at will against Cal. And having rewatched really it, I would say he probably played twice as many snaps as Keith Brown. I don't know. Keith didn't play a whole Easily. lot. after, yeah. And I, we don't have to get into all of it. Keith had one of the worst coverage mistakes you could maybe see <laughs> it was pretty brutal and it cost them about 20 yards and i don't think he played for mm-hmm. a while after that um next one from at clayton b underscore 27 how much differently are we talking about this game without the penalties in the red zone i'm really happy clayton Very, brought this up yeah. because after what we it's funny when, when we rewatch games sometimes i feel better sometimes i feel worse um felt way worse after watching stanford because i was like oh my gosh anthony brown played 10 times worse than I thought he'd play against mm-hmm. against Cal rewatching it. I'm like, if you take away these three penalties, which Clayton's referring to on the first two drives, Oregon's up seven or 10 more points than they are. You know, the first drive, there is a block in the back penalty on, or I was it a <laughs> blindside block, roughness. Blind blindside block yeah. on, on Johnny Johnson. That happens simultaneously as Jalen Red's going out of bounds. If that doesn't happen, the ball's at like the 10 yard line, first and goal. Then the three plays later. And, and red is a horse collar too, right? So maybe penalties it, offset. Even, even it's even so further even, down, even closer. And, and then and then three plays later, Big Sala is called for a hold, which I think is debatable. Having rewatched it, he was on his he like stumbled and fell down and like barely made contact. And the thing with both these plays that's frustrating is neither had any impact on the play itself. These are still first down completions because because yeah. Brown hits Matavajo, and the pressure would never have gotten to him at all. There was I mean, it wouldn't have even been impactful. Um, and he would have picked up a first down, and then you're looking at maybe another touchdown on that drive. Instead, they settled for a 49-yard field goal. The next drive, which ends up being the Chris Hudson fumble, they get the ball first and 10 at the at the 17-yard line before Micah Pittman's called for a block in the back, and it pushes it, makes it a first and 20. Then they have to throw the ball there on third to, to, to Hudson on, I think it's third and 14. He makes a huge effort to get there. If that's a third and seven, he probably isn't fighting for yards, or, or, or the whole play is playing out differently, or they're not even throwing it there. Um, that that drive results in either a field goal or a touchdown. Um, so that's like seven or ten more points on those opening two drives. And I'm, I'm not saying that the, those points count because they don't, because the Oregon made mistakes and they were self-inflicted. But it is worth noting here, like I think people wanted to point to Anthony Brown making all the mistakes. You rewatch those first two drives. He had nothing. He did nothing to do with why those drives sputtered or failed. Those drives sputtered and failed because of two blocking mistakes by wide receivers and a holding call, which I think is pretty egregious against Oregon's right tackle. Yeah, I mean, that's that was a game, an early motion of that game against Cal where Anthony Brown didn't do 
anything and yet was treated as if he was the problem for the offense not scoring touchdowns. And the question is right. If they scored two touchdowns on that drive instead of getting just a field goal, we're talking about a team that's winning 14 to nothing or 14 to seven, excuse me, over Cal. And we're looking at it like, well, now maybe Cal can't hang or they have to alter what they're doing from a play stand standpoint, offensively and also defensively. They have to maybe account for some other things that they maybe weren't planning on, you know, Oregon doing on the offensive side of the ball, which opens up even more of Oregon's bread and butter type stuff. So I think that's and that's where I got my biggest frustration with people booing and the stuff that we heard post game and during the game about Anthony Brown is I, I think he would, if you gave him true serum, maybe just, he would just straight up say it too, considering his comments after Stanford. But I think he would be willing to, to admit and to accept the fact that, Hey, if I'm not playing well, I get people being frustrated, not necessarily booing. Sure. That's different different line but being people being frustrated with his play but if you're also not going to acknowledge when he's not at fault or when he does make a play that's where i got really frustrated where some of the stuff just wasn't his fault and he was getting dealt the blame for it and it's kind of turned into like you know he's just the the, the crutch that people are going to blame all the mistakes on. And it clearly was not just him against California that had this team only scored 24 points. There, there were lots of points left on the board that should have been tacked on and they they did not directly correlate with Anthony Brown. Oregon could have had 21 first half points very easily or or 17 points very easily. The fact that they didn't was again, largely, an indictment on some plays that happened around Anthony that didn't have to do with Anthony. And again, I'm not a huge, we're not huge Anthony. Like we're not, I don't want to say, I don't want to say we're not supporters, but we're not like rah, rah, Anthony's the greatest. He's the best quarterback. I just think we have to be objective and point out like that was not his worst game. And and the fact that the offense sputtered in the first couple of drives had very little to do with him. And even I think the, um, the drive later where he ends up fumbling right before half, they're pushed back because of a sack that's not his fault where it's just pressure that he that is unaccounted for and he gets sacked and then suddenly he feels like he has to make a play on a i think a second and 17 near midfield and again good pressure he tries to get out of it and tries to do too much and loses the ball i don't know if fans i can't remember if fans boot after that one or not i think they might have um those are also like it's just like he, he, what do you want him i mean not that you want him to turn it over but he was fighting for everything it's not like he's out here quitting and not trying i think that's the part that gets a little frustrating do, do we remember who that did that come off the left or the right side of the offensive line the the, the first right sack of, the sack just before half where he fumbled uh i think he was rolling out or okay i think it, it was either he rolled out a little bit or if it came off the left side because i I do think the left side of the offensive line has done a very poor job protecting him the last two or three games. Yeah. I, I think when he's gotten hit and he's gotten sacked and he's felt a lot of quick pressure, it just feels like it's come off the left side. I'd have to watch to give you to really uh, back that. It doesn't, it doesn't sound wrong. I just don't know right. with enough confidence to, to back that one up. All right. Last one here from at Sundog80. What if, 
Mario Cristobal to Miami, Chip Kelly back to Oregon. And then he says, great work. Love the show. Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, appreciate the, 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 the comments there from Sundog in terms of loving the show. We love doing the show. And it's, it's, a, it's a really fun thing to do multiple times a week, five times a week, basically, these preview shows. And then after the game, we have a blast doing them. Um, to the question, though, I think that might – I don't know if that's a net win for – I don't know if Oregon wins that trade. Um, you know, say what you want about Chip Kelly, but there's probably more pressure from UCLA fans for Chip to be fired right now than there is for Oregon fans to, to, to move on from Mario Cristobal. And it's certainly more justifiable if you look at just the accomplishments on the field. Um, Chip Kelly was an amazing coach at Oregon. I would never take anything away from that. Those are my probably my most, if I'm honest, my most fond years watching the team as a fan because I was like, it was right between um, and a high school, college era. Oregon was playing for championships. It was just a really fun time to be around this program. There's very little I've seen that leads me to believe he steps back onto, you know, soil in Eugene and suddenly it's the exact same thing because what we, what we have seen in professional ranks and what we've seen now at UCLA is our teams that are just not overly competitive, that don't win conference championships, that don't win divisional championships in the NFL. Um, you know, this is the best Chip Kelly team in maybe since he's left Oregon or maybe his first year with the Eagles. And yet there's no guarantee they win the Pac-12 South. I think most people think that won't happen now. And there's no guarantee this team even finishes ranked. So, um, I mean, just like a, from an accomplishment perspective, I don't see that being a fair trade. Um, not to mention the fact that, like, we'll see what happens this week in Pasadena. Um, but, like, it's also not like Chip has just dominated Oregon since coaching at UCLA. I think he's 0-2. So, um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's fun to think of Chip at Oregon from, like, a – hypothetical of boy that would be reliving some glory days i also just think those glory days aren't going to happen again and, and maybe he would have some great teams at oregon if you gave him enough time i also think the the lack of recruiting would catch up to him just like it was kind of it already has kind of done at ucla like you look at ucla's best players a lot of them are transfers they've hit the portal really really well um i just did my five players to know for ucla and zach charbonnet and Britton brown are both transfers uh Quantrez, uh Williams, I think, is the name of the defensive back. I can't remember. He's a transfer. Like three of the five guys I named were transfers. So, like, they've succeeded through the portal. But from a recruiting in-state perspective, not like he's doing great work down there in a school that should have basically, you know, top 15, top 20 classes every year. They're struggling to do that. So, mm -hmm. I, Matt, like, you've watched Chip Kelly for a long time. You've watched Mario Cristobal for a long time. Would this be a win for Oregon if they flip coaches? One coach going into the 2021 season was coming off two straight Pac-12 championships. One coach was going into the 2021 season basically having to win to save his job. Yeah. yeah. Like, like I, I don't think you have to say more than that. Like, Chip Kelly at Oregon was awesome. He changed college football. He changed football. And there's no denying that that four-year stretch is probably the greatest four-year run in Oregon program history and will and could probably be that way for a long period of time. But it's also fair to say that when he was here at Oregon, they were doing things that no one else was really doing. Hardly anyone saw it before. Hardly anyone had experience defending it. Right. And flash forward now, everyone – has that in their system everyone mm -hmm. or something close to it everyone has seen it everyone knows how to defend it and it now boils down to execution talent acquisition what you do 
from a schematic standpoint of play calling. It's not just we're running a system that no one has ever really seen before or defended against, and and we have good athletes, and it's making them even better athletes. That's not the case anymore. That I know that's not a good simplification of what Chip Kelly did because it's way more than that. But right, it's it's not. I wouldn't make that trade today. You're 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 looking at it from a lens in which college football is operated differently. And Oregon has never recruited a, a level like they've recruited now under Mario Cristobal. The talent at this program has never been there. The strength and uh, and and the strength and conditioning program is as never as good as it's been right now. The facilities are never as good as it's been right now. The administrative support is never as good as it's been right now. The the staffs hit, like experience coaching is probably never as good as it's been than right now. And that's all under the tutelage and the leadership of Mario Cristobal. So I, I would not do it. Just from a no, statistical point oh, no. oh, I was just going to oh. say like basically everything that Matt said, I'm glad he brought up the fact that when Oregon was running the spread offense under Chip Kelly, nobody else was doing it. And now seemingly everybody is doing it. I remember before the season, uh, uh, David Shaw for Stanford, yeah, it was very complimentary of, of Chip Kelly and how his his spread offense changed football and changed college football. You know, he was probably he said that he was something like a decade before everybody else, which he was. And now everybody is, you know, has some part of that read option spread offense in their offensive playbook. And Mario Cristobal is a very different coach than Chip Kelly. He's a very different coach than Mark Helfrich, even Willie Taggart, um, and. He's he's brought this program to new heights. Continues to do so. Um, it would be a miserable trade, unless Kelly, Chip Kelly wanted to come back as an offensive coordinator. There's no reason to ever think or, frankly, to want Chip Kelly to come back as head coach at this point during his career. You wanted to compare stats here. I was just looking at this. Chip Kelly, obviously known as an offensive coach, I think people are very critical of Mario Cristobal from an offensive coaching perspective. Do you want to wager which offense this season has scored more points? Oregon. Yeah. Probably Oregon. Oregon, Oregon has more has, has averages 0.2 more points per game. So it's very small. They're basically even. And this is a year where everybody thinks Oregon's offense stinks and that everyone's really excited because Chip Kelly has kind of found his juice again. And yet they're basically even in terms of scoring. Um, over the four years, they've both coached in the conference because they do overlap directly. For those who remember, Chip Kelly took the UCLA job the same time Oregon promoted Mario Cristobal. Um, Oregon has had the better scoring offense three out of four years. The one difference being last year when, they, again, they were about even, but UCLA had a slight advantage. And, again, Oregon won the head-to-head -head game there too. So um, it's kind of hard to come up with much analysis that says, yeah, Chip Kelly is the better fit, especially if you just look at on-the-field production. You look at statistical analysis of the offenses. And then, of course, you look at recruiting. It's night and day. So I fail to see an area where I feel is significantly better. Even, even the – what would be kind of a selfish angle of like from a media perspective, who's going to give us better access is probably a stalemate at this point. Like even if we've been critical <laughs> of what Mark Cristobal has said or not said, it's not like Chip Kelly gives away anything more. So um, yeah, don't sign me up for that one. I think it's a fun question. It's a fun hypothetical, but not one I'm really too excited to, to think about in real life. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. Thank you for listening to the show. And until we're back later this week for another episode, all of this week, 
previewing Oregon at UCLA, 12.30 kick, ABC College Game Day. It's going to be a big week here on the podcast and hopefully on Saturday for this football game. You've been listening to the Austin Audible Podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.